Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Let It Roll, Tales from the Tour Bus, where the podcast about how and why popular music happens takes a break to talk about our favorite animated music history show from Mike Judge with hosts Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankston. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. You can now follow us on Twitter, at LetItRollCast, and we'd love to hear what you think. So don't be shy about tweeting at us or commenting on our website. This week, Nate and Justin are joined by director and screenwriter Jeff Fierzig, the writer of the brilliant Johnny Paycheck and George Jones and Tammy Wynette episodes of Tales from the Tour Bus. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Time to let it roll. Once again, we're appreciating Tales from the Tour Bus, Mike Judge's incredible comedy music documentary series. And we've got the honor of being joined by Jeff Fierzig, one of the co-writers of the show. Jeff, welcome. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. So um, how did you get involved with this project? And how far along in it were, were they when you were brought in? Well, I was approached by uh, the producers. Uh, there was a great guy who came up with the idea of the show with uh, Mike Judge. He actually brought the Johnny Paycheck idea to him, a guy named Rich Mullins. And um, I was approached because uh, it turns out that um, Mike was a big fan of my film, The Devil and Daniel Johnston. And uh, some of his other producers had just seen my latest film uh, author the jt leroy story so um they thought i would be a good fit for what they uh were doing because uh i'm a big music geek as we know from your work so were you brought in like were you involved in the initial research doing the background on johnny paycheck and george jones and tim Wynette, or did you come in later in the process and as kind of a script doctor Oh, God, no, no. Uh, what happened was uh, basically, you know, I, I, I actually didn't even meet Mike Judge. Um, I just met the producers and they had a list of stories, uh, one of which was Paycheck. And um, to, I told him very honestly, I was like, you know, I really only know take this job and shove it. Uh, I was certainly not a fan of Paycheck, nor did I know his incredible story. 
And then I was, uh, you know, we went into a writer's room, me and my buddy and co-writer, uh, Julian Nisberg. And I just uh, researched uh, the hell out of Paycheck and uh, came up with, you know, the arc and uh, a lot of the humor that was sort of uh, built into the story and the tragedy. And, uh, you know, kind of laid out in my mind what an episode uh, would look like. And then uh, I went out into the field uh, with my buddy Julian and then, you know, conducted those interviews with, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the brothers who played in the band uh, with Paycheck, as well as Swamp Dog. And um, the, the lawyer who um, uh, went to trial against Paycheck with uh, the shooting, of course, and, and the judge. So, you know, it was all done that way. I see. And so what was it like to work on a short form TV show? Like what's the biggest difference between working on a short form at the tight 30 minute space, as opposed to a documentary where you've got roughly 90 minutes and well, can go longer if you need to. It's just, it, it, there's not that big of a difference. Um, you know, with, um, with the devil, and Daniel Johnston, I had a lot more time, you know, that was four and a half years of editing all the time and then shooting more and editing and shooting and just getting it right. And, you know, with the author of the JT Leroy story, that was about a year and a half uh, because I was doing it full time. Uh, so, um, and then like, you know, for instance, like the, the real Rocky, my ESPN 30 for 30, the Chuck Weppner documentary um, that was done in, during an even shorter time period. So, you know, with network TV, there are deadlines and we, you know, I, I've learned to sort of break these stories fast uh, and then, you know, get them into an edit room with an editor and, and start, you know, shaping it. Uh, so, you know, and then it goes off, you know, in this case, of course it's animated. So, um, then after you have a fine cut, which is sort of, um, really a radio play, it's not visual yet. Um, all the stories told become the visual ideas for the animators to then have some fun with. But without without that story being well told and sort of the jokes and the visuals built into the telling, there's really nothing for the animators to work with, you know. Yeah, we definitely enjoyed that aspect of it. Like the it it held together so well the way that that a good sort of talking head documentary does. But then, you know, when it came time to tell the stories, you had this beautiful sort of visual look into the past that just kind of took you on more of a, of a ride than you're used to getting in these sorts of things. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, like, you know, we'll give you an example. Um, you know, obviously paycheck, you know, he's the pilot episode and, you know, as the pilot, it had to be aces. It had to be great. And his story had more drama, more drugs, more love story, more twists and turns. And then of course, that incredible shooting and then a trial. It had so many incredible uh, cinematic and visual scenes to be played out. So, you know, for instance, when he's in the bar paycheck and they're arguing uh, uh, with the, uh, the townspeople about beer and then they're switching uh, caps, baseball caps. Uh, and then paycheck ends up shooting the guy over the cap 
and the cap spins like a cartoon through the air and falls on the ground. All those, all those little details are built into the interview, even though the interviewees don't exactly know how I'm getting it out of them. You know, I'm basically circling back, circling back for all those little details that, that will be funny and visual. Because if they were just telling the story, they would tell it once. And then if they tell it again, you'll get more out of it. And you, you sort of what I call drill in on these things. And then that, that becomes uh, these visuals. Um, you know, Mike Judge definitely came up with this awesome look of the film, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, he had referenced a great artist that I love, uh, Raymond Pettibon. Um, you might be familiar with his 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 work from SST records and black flag and Minutemen and who's could do and, and that whole era. But he's, you know, he's become a very respected fine artist. Not that tales from the tour bus looks like Pettibon, but it was an influence, you know? Well, that's really cool to know. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, I'll have to go back and look at it with a Pettibon lens on my eyes. Cause I, I definitely didn't pick up on that, but, um, now that I'm reimagining it, I can kind of see some of that. Um, you worked on the George and Tammy two-parter as well, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. George uh, Jones with, and with Tammy. my buddy Julian Julian Nitzberg. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just filling out their names: George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Um, so tell us about that. Like how you segue from the pilot into big two-parter. Well, you know, then we there was a list of country artists, and um, you know, uh, I definitely am attracted to great stories. And I also, you know, I knew a little bit about George Jones and, and Tammy Wynette, particularly some of their hit songs, but I did not know the drama and the depth of their individual and also as a couple, their tumultuous uh, stories. Uh, you know, both of them are certifiably crazy and crazy makes great drama and great humor. And um, I, quickly um read uh, probably about two books on the subject and you know excavated it for all the best of it and then once again we you know julian and i we went out into the field and did the exact same process as as we did with paycheck uh conducted those interviews to to get those stories from the best people we can find i mean obviously George and Tammy and uh, Patrick are deceased. So you can't get a first person telling out of, out of them. So it's important to find other people who were around, who knew them, who could tell those stories. Sometimes we went to prominent journalists uh, who knew the story, but you have to have someone who can tell it because it can't come from me, you know, uh, even though I'm conducting these interviews for the screen, I, you know, my voice can never be in there, but you're certainly feeling it behind the scenes and so what what the big overlap with the jones boys band that were essentially johnny paycheck high school uh buddies and and then became sometimes they played with johnny paycheck and sometimes they played with george and tammy oh you mean uh you mean the adams brothers right yeah yeah and 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 so i mean watching it it just seems like such a perfect overlap and i had assumed that that the three episodes had kind of been planned out together knowing that you had those guys as the anchor and the connection. So was that not the case? Did you do another set of interviews with them for the George Jones episode like later, or did you, did you know you were doing the 
three-parter the whole time you were working? Well, we, we knew you know, the Adams Brothers are quite old. I think the week after we filmed them, um, one of them had a, had a problem. I think they're still alive now, but these guys are really old. So we knew we had one shot with the Adams Brothers. And as you point out, you know, they span, you know, that, that era and that geographic location of country music in, you know, uh, rural Ohio of all places, they span music history where of course, um, their paychecks backing band, and then they go on to work and have a great career with George Jones. So they've got endless stories and they're pretty humorous guys. So, uh, you know, the interview with the Adams brothers primarily was mostly about paycheck. And then at the very end, I had a separate list of questions and topics and story beats that I needed to get out of the Adams brothers. And we did that as well. And then of course we fleshed the rest of that episode out with other, other storytellers. I see. So, but you knew already going in that you were going to be doing three episodes of the series. Well, you know, I honestly, I thought that we didn't know exactly how many episodes George and Tammy would be, but their, their stories were so rich that George and Tammy could not be contained in one 30 minute episode. It was impossible. So it, it deserved part one and part two. Um, because once again, they, they both have their individual lives before they fall in love and then they're together and they're, then it's tumultuous and all the conflict that ensues and the craziness with the two of them. And then of course they, they break up. So that ends up being a nice two part half, you know, two, two half hours, which become an hour. So that's how it, that's just how it worked out in that case. Cool. I mean, it was brilliant. And, and watching the series, it, the way that you had, you know, the season opener, the Jerry Lee Lewis episode we kind of talked about, like, doesn't quite fit into the the arc of the season, but we understood, or we had a theory as to why it was second. But, you know, it seemed pretty natural to go Johnny Paycheck, and then boom, boom, George and Tammy, and then the second half of the season, you've got Billy Joe Shaver and, and the two-parter with Waylon Jennings, and so... Um, in my mind, it was sort of like it was all arced out in advance, but I guess that wasn't the case. You, you were fleshing out the episodes as you were going and, and figuring out how long it would take. Well, I mean, there was a list, and the theme was uh, outlaw country music. You know, uh, I, of course, did not work on those other episodes that you just mentioned. So um, I can't really speak to that, you know? Yeah. Um, but nobody, nobody knew. Exa- I mean, everybody knew Paycheck would be a pilot. There was no doubt in, my, in our minds about that. Um, and, and, and we knew it would be a tough one to top, you know? And then back to the George and Tammy thing real quick. Um, the, you, you end the, the second episode, like the sort of happy ending is George Jones doing He Stopped Loving Her Today, which is kind of a cheat sort of historically. I mean, you know, that's not definitely... You know, that was like 79, 80, I think. And, and he goes on for another decade. Like, how hard was it to, to find sort of a satisfying conclusion to that? And did you, did you think about other alternatives or did you know going in that you're going to have to end with he stopped loving her today? That's a tough that's a tough question to answer. I mean, basically, you know, you want a solid ending and you don't want to end in darkness with George Jones necessarily. Uh, with Paycheck, it ended so poignantly. Um, it's such a beautiful ending 
that we felt like, you know, the other episodes should live up to that format in some way. And I think that was the decision that got made. So. Yeah. And, and one thing that's sort of fascinating about the difference between paycheck and Jones and their relationship with the Adams brothers is it seemed like the Adams brother. I mean, basically in a lot of ways, they're the same crazy asshole paycheck and Jones, but the Adams brothers love paycheck and they don't, you get the feeling that they really didn't love George Jones or that the bullshit to, to quality quotient was very different with George Jones. They admired his music and liked working with him in that aspect, but otherwise just, I mean, say it pretty much straight up. The guy was an asshole. And, um, you know, do you feel like that's fair that they, that they loved paycheck and that they liked Tammy Wynette and they just tolerated George Jones because it was a great working relationship when it worked? I, I think it's pretty fair to say. I mean, you know, you got to realize that, you know, Paycheck grew up as a as a kid, literally playing with the Adams brothers. So they knew him as Donnie, Donnie Lytle. So then they used to beat him up and, you know, when he was little and then he evolved as a musician and a solo artist. And, you know, he was like one of their peers from the same neighborhood. You know, George Jones is not from rural Ohio. So that was like, you know, a great gig for the Adams Brothers. And George Jones became, you know, in many ways, uh, country music royalty and behaved that way and had more money than God and uh, lived a different lifestyle, even though he was a degenerate alcoholic and a madman. Um, you know, Paycheck, you know, didn't go on to that kind of uh, lifestyle. You know, he, he kind of always remained who he was, even though he made money. He blew it all, you know, on drugs and alcohol and, and living fast. He he certainly didn't have his own amusement park where George Jones, of course, did, you know. <laughs> so I think there was always a, a class system kind of thing that these guys were the band, the hired hands, the, the gun, you know, the hired guns, not peers. Makes sense. Jones. Right on. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of your... The Daniel Johnson movie I thought was beautiful. Uh, I also really enjoyed the half Japanese movie. I was wondering if, you know, if you saw like a connection between sort of, you know, these sort of outsider artists that you had worked with in the past and then sort of your Johnny Paycheck, who, you know, is famous and like you said, made some money, but was also sort of like a cultural outsider in his way. Well, I mean, well, first of all, I'm glad you liked the film. You know, Half Japanese is, is a tough film to get a hold of these days because it's only on DVD on Amazon. Um, you can find copies right now because that was uh, 1993 that came out. Um, you know, so I've always been... The thing is, like, with these stories and music, like, I've always been attracted to outsiders because, you know, a lot of great cinema is outsiders. I mean, what is what is Rocky, in a sense? You know, he's an underdog, you know, underdogs make great cinematic tales. So, you know, I'm more interested in those type of musicians and artists because I think their stories are more interesting to audiences, even when in the case of, for instance, Johnny Paycheck or Daniel Johnston, the mainstream audience doesn't necessarily even know who these artists are as opposed to a famous artist. Like I would much rather make a, a movie about a Daniel Johnson or a Johnny Paycheck than, than a Kurt Cobain. Um, you know, stories of famous people are really tough to tell because we already know the story. So I think, right. I feel like when people were watching something and the, 
and the screen, you know, the cinema goes dark or you're watching alone in your living room. Uh, it's all about story. Story is king. And then no matter who it's about, if the story is great, I think it can hold you and entertain you and, and move you. So that's just where I'm coming from. So Absolutely. Well, it definitely came through in the series and specifically in the the Paycheck and, and Jones episodes. The other thing that I sort of that that I thought of is how different is it to to work on something with a living person, especially a sensitive living person like Daniel Johnson versus someone like Johnny Paycheck's dead, so his feelings don't matter. Did that like affect was that a difference in in the way you approached it? Well, I mean, you know, you want to be respectful and truthful to any person's life if you respect their art and their work. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, with Paycheck, you know, clearly, I, I hope it comes through that humor is a big part of the story. And I think that there's humor built into that story. And, and with Daniel Johnson, who's alive, there's a lot of humor in the devil and Daniel Johnson as well. But Daniel Johnson has an incredible sense of humor. So that's part of the story. So um, I feel like as long as you're respectful and truthful, you know, there's room for, for humor because as long as you're not making fun of them. And I don't oh, ask for one second, we're making fun of Paycheck or ever uh, Daniel Johnson, you know, no. but you know, there's comedy and comedy and tragedy, the comic and tragic masks go hand in hand. And that's, that's where the fun is, you know, when you're watching stories or, you know, reading a great book or watching a great movie. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely, you know, one of the things I loved about, about Tales from the Doorbus is that it does come across really respectful, even when, when it's, you know, when it's the jokes are flying thick and heavy, you know, there's an obvious baseline of, uh, you know, respect for the music, respect for the performers. <clears throat> which you don't always get in media about country music. So I did appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I, I came to really appreciate, you know, once again, I started with just pay, uh, just, uh, excuse me, take this job and shove it. And I, you know, I ended up falling in love with that song that Swamp Dog uh, wrote for paycheck. And, you know, I ended up really appreciating his music uh, in and of itself. I think it's really, he's really something. He's a great, great, uh, singer turns out, you know, and I just, I just thought the guy, you know, um, the guy's much more talented and much more interesting than where I started with the guy, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, is, but as far as the humor, like, you know, when we heard the stories about, uh, turtle soup, for instance, like when we were on set, we certainly didn't research anything about that great culinary, uh, option that's from rural, of Southern Ohio. And we, when we heard about turtle soup on set, you know, I remember Julian Nitzberg and I looking at each other and we just wanted to mine that in the interview for all the humor it was worth. And of course it became a great joke in the film about the turtle soup. So, um, you know, things like that, you just have to be on the lookout for Cause like you said, it's, it's, it, that, that episode is filled with humor. Yeah. And the turtle soup thing, just the way, you let the different characters, it's like everybody had their own theory about the role of the turtle soup in the fight. Like, you know, uh, I think it's the manager who's like, well, they weren't actually 
they were just discussing the theory of turtle soup and how it should be made. And somebody else is saying, no, they had some out in the car and they're trying to offer it to him. And I just, you know, the hilarity totally mounted. And the manager's uh, off-color remarks about the turtles were crazy too. So you've already answered some of my questions but uh, on this next one. But, you know, working with Mike Judge, who's just, the Mike Judge brand is humor primarily. And your brand had been sort of, you know, off the beaten path musicians, but it sounds like you were bringing the humor and that, and that Mike and the animators were coming in after and just illustrating it. Is that correct? Well, I mean, you know, in all fairness, uh, it's a collaboration, you know, a lot of what's great about tales from the tour bus is Mike judge as the deadpan host and Mike judge is setting up those stories and he does an incredible job with that humor. But of course, he handed off to people like myself and Julian Nitzberg, you know, these stories to go out. And I, you know, uh, we were, we were like, you know, what's, what's the word? We were uh, at big game hunting. We're out there looking to tell stories the way we tell them. And, you know, if you look back at my other work, you know, with Real Rocky or The Devil and Daniel Johnson or even Half Japanese, there's always been a lot of humor in those films, but people, you know, Right now, they, they like to think of it as um, music documentaries, but uh, if, they, if they're really watching, there's quite a few laughs in those films. So, I, you know, I was bringing my game, Mike brought his game, and then we collaborate, you put it together, and that's what you get. You get Tales from the Tour Bus. And it's beautiful. Did Mike write his own intros then? Well, he, he did. The editor roughed in a lot uh, of that stuff because, you know, it had to be laid out in the edit room first of how many how many times Mike was going to pop up. But in the end, Mike rewrote that and, and made it his own because he has his own style, you know, and his own deadpan sense of humor. So, and he did a great job with that stuff. I, I just think those setups are, are just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the, they, they put his brand all over it and really, uh, yeah, they, they open it perfectly. Um, the song selections are such a big part of the episode. And Justin, and I talked about on the show a lot, the way, you know, these characters are so over the top, you know, George Jones with the Donald Duck voice and the cocaine psychosis and Johnny Paycheck thinking he's going to be a hitman for the Hells Angels. But the music selections are so powerful. And also the contrast between, you know, most of the, the shots are animated, even the interviews and the Mike Judge thing. But when they do the music, it's always actual video or film footage. How involved were you? Did you have carte blanche on the song selection or was that part of the collaborative process or was that done? And later, like, how integral to that was the whole script? Well, I, no, I was very involved. I mean, well, first of all, there was a limit to the budget of how many tracks per episode could even appear. So that was already, you know, a huge issue. So you had to pick very carefully. So obviously, t- take this job and shove it. Uh, and then I fell in love with the Swamp Dog song. And I'm forgetting the exact title of it right now, which is just a genius song. And of course, Swamp Dog was really funny. In his interview, he lives in Los Angeles, and um, I've seen him play live uh, at the Echo in Echo Park. And we brought him in, and he told his story. And what's so amazing about that is, who would ever think that a uh, you know an African American R and B singer is going to write Johnny Paycheck's uh, second biggest hit song? You would never think of that in any way that there was an African American involved. So that was pretty cool. And then the last song, 
Um, I know specifically Mike Judge had fallen, and I'm forgetting the title of it right now, I apologize. He had fallen in love with that song, and there were two versions of it. And, you know, I felt really strongly about the version that got used, Um, but it was also the one that Mike wanted, too. So there was um, there was that, and it was very emotional um, that song. So we knew that would be a great closer, a real tearjerker. But uh, he definitely had eyeballed that song. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was a it was a given it was a give and take. You know, we all we all uh, threw our two cents in the hat uh, in the ring. Cool, and that's old violin, and the and the um, Swamp Dog yeah. song is is uh, Don't Take Her, She's All I've Got. I think it might just be She's All I've Got. Um, Yes, that's yeah. right. Don't take it all yet, which is which is just amazing. And you know, we there's actually quite a few versions of that song. If you go on YouTube, you can hear um, a couple different people doing that song. I think Paychecks is the strongest, but Swamp Dog's original demo is pretty damn strong as well. It's it's just a brilliant song. And it turns out Swamp Dog used to be the co-writer with uh, Gary U.S. Bonds, who was also a great R&B singer. I had no idea about that. Um, yeah. It, uh, in the in the vintage like New Orleans era, Gary U.S. Bonds, or later on in his career? No, no, the early years. Uh, wow. U.S. Bonds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, wow. They were they were a songwriting team. It turns out. That's some epic stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I could go off on any number of changes about that, but I'll stick to stick to what we're talking about here. So, some bigger picture questions, just for your approach to narrative and and humor, like, how do you balance? the needs of the narrative and your, your need for a story arc and wrapping it up tidy with the historical accuracy, especially, you know, with a 30 minute time limit and, and got to get songs in there. Like, it seems like this is a real tightrope to do these shows as well as you did and be as accurate as you were. Well, you know, once again, you know, in the research, if you, if you lay out the research and lay out the beats, you're still basically doing three acts you want a nice three act structure. And if you, you know, I've done three act structure already in my other longer films, you know, it's just doing that in miniature. So, um, the historical accuracy is sort of built in and you then pick and choose what's going to flow and what's going to work together and what's going to hang together and what's going to narratively move. And I think the, the humor, which is, you know, it sort of screams out as important, is really the last thing is the, the salt and pepper on top of, of the arc and on top of um, uh, the historical accuracy. The humor is sort of built into the scenes. Cool. And then, you know, Mike Judge has this reputation, other than Beavis and Butt- Butthead, and to a lesser extent, Silicon Valley, almost everything he has done has sort of been like a, a, a long fuse. Like Office Space took forever to catch on you know it, it was bombed in the theater and, and then becomes an enormous cult success on dvd uh idiocracy practically buried by fox studios and then becomes you know sort of this hor- horribly prophetic uh movie of art that you know tells us where we're at right now so brilliantly do you feel like tells of the tour bus like like to me, to some extent, I fell in love with the series immediately, but almost nobody I knew had Cinemax. Nobody had heard about the show. And do you feel like it's starting to get some momentum? Are people still talking about it, or is it just us freaks that are obsessed with the series? Well, you know, it's a good question. I, I keep running into people who have, I think the second season got more publicity, and now I'm, I'm running into people and they, they, they keep, they're like, oh my God. You did Tales from the Tour Bus? 
And I was like, oh yeah, uh-huh. I did the pilot. And um, they're like, wow, we saw, you know, the funk uh, season and we went back and we just started watching the country and that just keeps happening. And I kind of think that it, it's got a, like a long shelf life. People are definitely talking about it and passing it around. And I think it, it's going to have some sort of, you can't really predict these things, how it's going to work, but it definitely feels like a cult experience right now with, with uh, people discovering it, which is, I think, really cool. And I guess, obviously, with what you guys are doing, it's going to certainly help that uh, happen. So. Well, i happy to make a small contribution. Do you um, have any plans? Have you been invited back? Do you know if they're doing a third season or... I'm I'm not on the on the uh, the team anymore. You know, I did my bit, which was great, and I'm off and doing other projects right now. So I, I really don't know if they're doing a third season, to be quite honest. Cool. And what? Tell us about your next your upcoming stuff. Well, I'm trying to think of what I'm allowed to talk about. I, I, there's a big music documentary that I'm not allowed to talk about uh, that I'm in negotiation to start next month, and um, I can't officially tell the world what it is yet <laughs> but um, it's, fingers it's crossed massive, that you it's, a massive, it's a massive band <laughs> i'll tell you that well cool <laughs> so it's a big yeah. it's, it's a huge feature doc yeah awesome um fingers i'm excited about it but uh it's too soon to 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 do a public statement on it unfortunately well, well, we'll uh, cross our fingers. And so, last question: You said you had a list of artists. What What's the the one who got away, or was there somebody that that you guys had considered that, um, you know, what was the like? If you could have done one more artist, who would it have been? Well, that's the best question you've asked. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the legendary Stardust Cowboy. All right. You know yeah. who that is? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, of course, the legendary Stardust Cowboy recorded arguably, you know, the biggest novelty record in history, uh, Paralyzed. And anybody who's listening to this podcast should go to YouTube and listen to it right now. And then he became the inspiration for David Bowie and uh, Ziggy Stardust. Anyway, it's a much, much, much larger story. He's a total outsider. And not only did I pitch uh, doing what, who we, we call the legendary Stardust Cowboy by his nickname, The Ledge, uh, not only did we pitch The Ledge, but I went out and actually uh, did The Ledge. We, I did all the interviews and brought the story back, and it went into edit, and it got through Rough Cut, and it was fantastic. And talk about funny. It was just amazing because a lot of it's also about the space program and NASA and things like that. So it had a lot of incredible uh, themes like with David Bowie's space oddity and all that overlapping with uh, the ledge growing up in Texas and being obsessed with the space program. Um, and unfortunately that episode uh, got killed. It got, it died and no one's ever going to see it. So it's a tragedy. And oh I God. promise you it was great. It I... was awesome. I believe you. You know, there's a documentary about the legendary Stardust Cowboy that I think had a similar fate. I've I've heard of people who've seen it. Um, it's something like Cotton Picking um, that I've been hearing about. Yeah, no, years. I, I've I've seen it. It's 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 sort of an unfinished film, um, and I and I absolutely did see that. Uh, it was made a long time ago, and um, 
you know, it was a great effort. Whoever had, 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 uh, attempted to tell that story, but you know, just wrap your brain around tales from the tour bus oh. and animation and what we would have done. And I'm telling you, man, it it should still be finished and still be released as another tales bonus episode. It's that good. Well, we'll definitely start beating the drums because I've been uh, ever since I heard about the first documentary that that came out. Like I've occasionally thought, you know, I should try to track that documentary down. So I'm glad to hear you've seen it and that it's out there and people are seeing it. And now to know that there's two of them <laughs> out of reach is, uh, I guess that's what being a fan well, is all one, about. Well, one one is very unfinished. I mean, once again my episode never went to the animators. It just got through story and edit. So it's an unfinished piece. Well, um, it's, uh, at least it wasn't burned up in the universal studio fire is all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) It might've been actually, everything (laughs) was burned up there. There's nothing left. All music history is gone. It's all gone. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jeff. This has been great. And, uh, Thank you. And thank you for the show. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, I appreciate uh, your interest in all this, and it was certainly fun to chat about it all. Awesome. um, Rock on. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Let It Rollcast. This is the last episode of our first Tales from the Tour Bus series. Come back next Monday when author Adam White joins Nate to discuss Motown. Tales from the Tour Bus can be viewed on Amazon.com if you subscribe to Cinemax. <laughs>